greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he didn't exist. What we've got here is failure to communicate. Open the pod bay doors, Al. I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that. You dance with the devil in the pale moonlight. What? You'll shoot your eye out, kid. The price is wrong, bitch. 60% of the time, it works every time. That doesn't make sense. Welcome to Critics Not Cynics, the podcast that tries to prove that you can be a critic without being a cynic. And on this week's episode of the podcast, we are going to be discussing two very different movies, although they're genre-wise uh, probably fitting in the same genre. Um, we're going to be talking about Beyond White Space from 2018 and Project Power uh, from 2020 that is now on Netflix. This week again, I am joined by Leslie. Leslie, how are you doing? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing pretty well. Glad uh, we're back on recording on a on a weekend. You know, just that it's the weekend while we record because work. Um, <laughs> but yes, it's it's uh, going to be an interesting one to talk about. I, I I know we talked a little bit about Beyond White Space um, briefly. I think you, you had talked to me some things before I finished watching the movie, and uh, then we talked a little bit before recording. So it's going to be a really interesting discussion on that one. I don't know how much we'll have to say on it but we will have um some things but um next week we will have pat back onto the podcast so he's back from his honeymoon but they're you know still uh, recouping as of recording because they got in last night uh so that's going to be a fun time to have him back on and we'll ask him how he how his honeymoon was in aruba and then we'll get talking into the movies that we have planned for next week um, so without really any further ado, we are going to go ahead and play the trailer for Beyond White Space. It is said that those who venture into white space are cleansed. Struck a goal, my fellas. What the? But the key to white space resides in its celestial guardian. Those who attempt to pass will be met with vicious resistance, but I do not seek entry. I seek revenge. This is Interstellar Fishing Vessel Essex. Standing by. It's no coincidence the Essex flight pattern matched the sightings. I got a tag on him. Won't be long till he's dead. I can't let you do that. He will not stand in my way. I have a guy that will give us five seasons worth of hauls for this thing. And you expect to get a 16-ton creature across customs? Wherever that signal goes, we go. as far out as anyone has ever gone. We got two options. Go home empty-handed or get the grand prize. Nothing is going to stop us. So the premise for this uh, film is in 2156 AD, the Essex, a deep space fishing vessel for industry giant Ambercore, is ready to make its final harvest of the season. The ship brushes with a rare creature, mammoth in size and highly territorial. Could this be the same Leviathan that killed Richard and Owen's father? To make matters worse, a vicious band of scavengers intercept the transmission and infiltrate the Essex, leaving them with nothing. With no cargo and few supplies, the captain makes a daring decision. They will venture into uncharted territory, playing for keeps to capture the creature of a large black market take. Uh, 
So I think that um, this movie, it really uh, has a problem with its trailer is far more interesting than the movie itself. Um, it, it looks so promising. Um, I th- thought the visuals looked really good from the trailer. It has an actor, um, that I really like that most people are familiar with, uh, from Mindhunter, the Netflix show, um, Holt McLaney. And, uh, it looked really interesting. I kind of like this idea that it's a, uh, Moby Dick in space type movie, but once you really start watching it, in fact, um, I kind of had a little chance to watch like the first five minutes of it before having to put it off to watch till later. I thought that the two characters at the beginning, the one who ends up surviving is Holt McLaney's character later on in the movie, but it's, it's not. And it doesn't even really get explained until later on in the movie that he's the son of the, the guy who dies at the beginning. And it just wasn't really clear on that. Um, Visual effects wise, it it had strong moments like I think Tian Lung looked really good um, on the screen and, and for the budget that they had. The ships looked really good. The suits that they wear out in space at times look really good and then at times look really, really bad. I, and I think most of that's usually when they're on the ship that the suits look bad because I think a lot of the the dark lighting in space kind of hides maybe some of the stuff that might make it look a little ridiculous. But this had a lot of different moving parts to it. Its plot is very convoluted because just much like that premise said, there's this going on, there's this going on, there's this going on. Um, And kind of the other thing that I really didn't like was this movie's called Beyond White Space, but I don't really think we get to know or see what white space is or what's beyond it. Cause it's at one point they even say like, this is the farthest anyone's been out that we've charted, but they really don't go much further beyond that. And, um, Owen, who is Holt McLaney's character is, is very much Ahab in this movie. And what feels a little disingenuous is that, um, he tries to hide that motivation for a lot of the movie. And like it, it starts out that it's just, we're going to get this harvest, but then they just happen to come across Tian Lung. And then he goes on his kind of Ahab rant when the movie even really starts after that first little initial sequence, he's talking about where Tian Lung has been, um, sighted in space. So there's that there's, Uh, an issue with the crew members. There's a lot of distrust, which I mean, if you compare it to like a character like Jane from Firefly, he's the only one in that crew that really is one who might be manipulated to betray Malcolm and everything. But in beyond white space, like you get the impression that this crew has worked together for a solid amount of time. And yet there's all this distrust and the cook doesn't like any other women because she doesn't want them to sleep with her boyfriend. And, and there's all that. And then there's this kind of subplot with these uh, parasites that infect their engineer who ends up going on a rampage later on. Uh, you have this mysterious ICE agent who's going to try to prevent them from going after Tian Lung. Um, going on there, you have these pirates that they call boomers, which I, I kind of like that term for the pirates um, that end up, you know, keep chasing them everywhere they go. So it's a revenge movie, but it's got all these other weird plot points that never really get fully explored or feel really justified for the movie. And I, I just wish that it would have kept more to a Moby Dick story you have someone on the crew who's like Ishmael who doesn't know, you know, much about sailing. And so you could have had a character like that who didn't know much about space travel and and then taken it from there. And instead, they tried to throw all these different conflicting plot points in, in the movie. And it just it didn't really work for me. But uh, I'm going to go ahead and turn it over to you, Leslie. Let's see <laughs> hear what you had. Well, yeah, it really is Moby Dick in space, but it's definitely got, 
you know, all of these other plot points, like you've pointed out, that I it, it what the what the uh, script really needed was a nip and a tuck and a bit of a polish, because like you said, the trailer is really interesting. I think the the premise is is good. It would be a really interesting movie if it was streamlined. If they just focused on um, Holt McCallany's character, um, his revenge plot, and focused on the ICE agent because they give you a, a clip really fast at the beginning of the movie that she's got some sort of brain tumor and that she wants to go to white space because she think she thinks it will cure her. I think if they really focus down on those two things and the conflict between them of her not wanting him to, to kill the space whale, space dragon, so that she can get to white space and get cured, it, it really needed some some more editing on, on the script, I think. But... Uh, Aside from the script, I think the acting's pretty good. It's not the worst I've ever seen in a movie like this. Um, I think the best performance for me was Mike Genovese. He played the old drunken sailor. I'd He's the one. On His one. performance is the one that I believed the most. I'm like, I believe that he's an old drunken sailor, that he's been doing this for decades. Like, I think his performance was the best. And I think the setting and the world building was actually pretty good. The effects, you know, like you said, are, are iffy here and there. But as far as, like, taking you into the city and you kind of see these, I, I, guess, I guess they're, like, matte um, paintings or whatever, but that they do digital effects with of, like, the space-age city kind of Blade Runnery, and there's all the neon flashing signs and, like, a space motorcycle and things. Like, I think as far as the world building of the set... I think was all really good. It just kind of loses its footing with the plot and trying to have so many different plot points going on at the same time that they could have just cut entirely. Um, overall, I think it was a good movie. You know, it's another one that like, I wouldn't have a collector's edition or anything of it, but I'd keep it in my digital library. Yeah. Yeah. I would, I would totally agree. Like it's, it, it's one where, um, you know, it's it, you can have a good time with it if you're not trying to take it too seriously. Um, yeah, it's it's very much a kind of like a, just a little popcorn flick. Um, I, I had to agree with you totally because it was one point I, I forgot to bring up uh, in my little summation, but I, I wanted to touch on. I love the old man, too. Like I I thought he was perfect. He hit everything like honestly, him and Holt um, really had the the best two performances in the movie. And that's because, I mean, Holt McLaney, he's been around for a long time now. He's been in a bunch of different movies. Like we said, he's in Mindhunter. He, he knows how to act and he knows how to deliver on those moments. Um, but the, the old man kind of being that drunken sailor type, like I I've been doing this shit for years. Uh, so, you know, I know the ins and outs and I've survived this tragedy or this tragedy. Uh, I think one of my favorite scenes is, um, after a particular death and one of the crew members, um, he brings, uh, Owen Holt McClaney's character, a bottle of whiskey. And it's just like, it, it feels so real authentic. to what, yeah, it, it feels very authentic to something that you would see, uh, you know, on like if they were pirates or, or just, you know, a shipping vessel. Um, and, you know, like we've said, it's very much Moby Dick in space, but I think what helps differentiate it uh, a little bit is Owen is conflicted. Like, he he knows that he should take care of his crew, but he still is it still wants to go after this creature, you know, for revenge. And so there are a lot of moments where you see him questioning his own motivation and... I think that that's what can make him stand apart from an Ahab where Ahab was just so determined to get Moby Dick that it didn't matter what happened to his crew. He didn't care who died. He was going to get that whale or die trying. And Owen goes probably full Ahab near the end of the film. And I think that that, that was fine. Like I didn't have any issue with that, but the whole ending of the film was where it tried to wrap up all those multiple plot points. The ending was a disaster. Yes, I think. It, it's just so weak. It was so muddled and like it, it, it just didn't work. And 
No, because like you said, there's so many different points that they're trying to wrap up. They're trying to do this mutiny thing. They're trying to do the thing with the engineer who's infected with parasites. He's still trying to kill the space dragon, the ICE agents trying to hunt down, I think, the engineer. And yeah. it, everything's going crazy. And it's like, that's where, you know, nip tuck, focus on a couple of plot points. You don't need plot point A, B, C, D, E, F, and G. No. You know, you need like A and B. Yeah, they, they they could yeah they could have easily just just streamlined it i i would have been fine with uh owen going after the whale the ice agent wanting to get cured and stop him and the crew member getting infected like that i think would have been would have been fine because you could have you could have streamlined the mutiny into that because you could have had in a movie that um which I, I, I think it's a little bit of hate, but shouldn't shouldn't get as much hate as it gets. It's like Starship Troopers 2, Hero of the Federation. Uh, they they kind of do what I would have wanted them to do in this uh, better, which is have the engineer infect other crew members. And then it would have made the mutiny maybe seem a little more genuine, or at least it would have made more logical sense than what happened like i get the crew is upset because they just want to go back home they don't have enough food their their cargo has just been robbed and here's owen wanting to take them deeper and deeper and deeper into space but at the end of it especially with with the old man uh hawthorne he's saying you know hey i know harpo harpo for a long time like he's a man of honor he's he won't do anything and then you kind of you know see that that that's not true and with us saying about how authentic he feels as kind of this old grizzled sailor, you think he would know a person better in, in character judgment than than to just like lay that out there and then obviously be wrong near the end of the film. But yeah, yeah, I, I just yeah, I feel like Harpo's motivation is pretty weak. Yes. I mean, it's like you said, yeah, they're they're running out of food and and whatnot, and he has this weird thing with his girlfriend the cook and the and the up and the pilot love triangle thing it was like they're trying to do far too much yeah. they could have just simplified the motivations and like you said maybe have i think the mutiny would have been more effective had the engineer been accidentally affecting other people and they're like we got to get out of here we got to do something about the situation with um holt being way too focused on the space whale yeah yeah it just it just needed a little bit like you said trimming down uh if it had been like maybe a mini series where it was broken up to a couple like maybe six or eight episodes you could have then fleshed out all those different plot points a lot better like if this had been a, a netflix show you probably would have been able to make all that work but this is a tight hour and 33 minute movie so Maybe if it had been stretched out to a two hour movie, they could have done enough uh, character building and enough uh, setup for all those things. But ultimately, that's that's where it falls apart. But one of I think one of my also my favorite sequences is the final battle. You know, Holt going up against uh, Tian Lung like was just I think it was like kind of cool and the the moment that's in the trailer and obviously we're audio only so you can't see it unless you go out and watch the trailer yourself uh the part where he's kind of running from it and there's a piece of uh bar or something that breaks off from the ship and then he grabs it and he uses it basically as a sword i, I thought that that was a really cool moment um but other than that yeah it 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 needed um, probably a couple once overs or twice overs or thrice overs looking at the <laughs> script and going, Hey, can we, can we move this here? Or can we just take this out? Like I'm, I'm not really one to advocate cutting out a whole lot of things that a director or a writer wants to put into a movie, but they have to make sense. Like a lot of the director's cuts or producer cuts that I prefer over theatrical releases, the stuff that they have added in there does more to expand on exposition, motivation, clarif clarification, uh, or just overall improving the story. This felt like this needed things removed from it to improve the story because I, f I just felt like there was a lot of ancillary information. And in fact, like this, this contact that he has, if I'm assuming who that is, is the guy at the beginning who he talks to at the restaurant, 
I wouldn't think that they have a good relationship considering how that conversation <laughs> ends. Um, but I, so for me, I think uh, for a score, I'm going to land on, I'm kind of stuck between a two and a two and a half out of five. Um, maybe if I can rewatch it in its whole and try to pick or try to focus more on all those varying plot points and maybe see if they were planted better than, than I originally thought I might be able to up it to a 2.5 for, for certain. So I'm going to waver in between two and a two and a half. So I think I'd like to waver at like 2.75 <laughs> or three, just because if for the setting and the world building because mm. and the idea, because I think if, if you're anything like me and you've got like this wild, crazy imagination, the, the setting, some of the, the background scenes, things that you get to see and the idea, even though it's poorly executed is enough to kind of, um, inspire your imagination that you want to go and fill this in yourself. So, you know, like I want to go sit and, and write it and flesh it out, something in that world myself and, and, in that inspiring sort of a way, it's not terrible. Like I never want to see this again. I don't ever want to, you know, sit through this ever again. So I'll give it, give it like 2.75. Yeah. And I, and I do agree with you. Like, I think that the, the world that it, it created was, was really good. Like I, I, it does kind of fit in that Blade Runner corporation, uh, run, fantasy sci-fi world where it's, you know, corporations are kind of running everything. These, you know, crews are going out there to, to basically get space oil, um, to, you know, profit and everything like that. And it it does, it does feel really fleshed out. And I like the idea of these kind of, you know, creatures that live in a vacuum. You basically have these space crabs and, you know, the, the space dragons. Um, I, I just, the rest of the story, just basically the plot, the, the rest of it, I think that they had a great idea yeah. for the world. Uh, the plot was where it, it fell weakest. And I, I would definitely watch it again. Um, I probably won't watch it anytime soon, but it would be one like if it were on a voodoo sale for maybe five bucks or, or even cheaper, I'd probably be like, yeah, pick that up just to have, you know, throw on and watch every once in a while. But yeah, I, I can I can see where you land on that. Um, so I think that's going to do it for our review of Beyond White Space. If you want to stream it, you do have to have a Showtime subscription through either Amazon, Showtime itself, or Hulu, because that's how we were able to watch it. Um, so it's not, I think, available on anything else without having to pay for it. So uh, if you've you found it interesting enough, go check it out and, and uh, you know let us know if you had diff- any different impressions on the movie. So we're going to now go ahead and switch gears and talk about Project Power. Um, I'm sure a lot of you guys are familiar with Project Power since it's probably one of the the Netflix movies that is getting at least positive uh, attention. Uh, most Netflix films do not do well when it comes to reviews. Um, but before we play the trailer, we'll go ahead and give you a bit of the premise. Um When a pill that gives its users unpredictable superpowers for five minutes hits the streets of New Orleans, a teenage dealer and a local cop must team with an ex-soldier to take down the group responsible for its creation. And with that said, we will play you the trailer. Power, power, speak a little louder. If there was a pill... I'm coming at the ride. They could give you five minutes. Spit it so they get it. I'm embedded with the power. A pure power. I'm embedded with the power. Would you take it? You don't know who I am or what I'm about. But I'll do anything to find that source. Listen to my voice. Am I lying? Welcome to Project Power. Our goal is simple. The next evolution of the human species. You ever taken one of those before? It can make you strong. It can make you invisible. You never know what your power is until you try it. You push that power, don't you? Yeah. 
on the streets, they're talking about superpowers, but they're not talking about how one hit could kill you. What's the plan now? I took something from it. I gotta get it back. Something? No, someone. He's tearing our city apart. Your kid has something to do with it. Where do you think they got the formula from? They have my daughter. Maybe we can work together on this. What do you need? Still got the pills on? It's about to get real noisy. So that's your power. We stabilize it. Then we weaponize it. Our goals, where it always goes, to the people that already have it. They think they can just test their product on my city and we'll let them see what happens. I thought we were like Batman and Robin. You no know, Batman and Robin, that's a movie. This is real life. We doing this. So that was Project Power's trailer. Um, overall, I think this was a really good superhero movie. Um, my frame of reference is mostly X-Men, and it reminded me a lot of that, just sort of people getting powers, um, people being experimented on, and that's how this pill come, came into existence, things like that. Um, I'm trying to think. I think the plot was was sound. It wasn't overcomplicated like Beyond White Space that we just talked about. I think the special effects and CGI were really good, except for one exception that I think Patrick's going to talk about. And I think we had really solid acting from our three main characters, um, Jamie Foxx as Art, Joseph Gordon-Levitt as Frank, and Dominique Fishback as Robin. And actually, I think the most well-developed character uh, that I sympathize the most with was Robin. I think we got to see the most of her uh, story how and, and understand why she was uh, being a drug dealer and pushing that power on the streets. And I also think that the least developed character was Jamie Foxx's character. We know and we can understand why he's doing what he's doing, but I think a couple more scenes just to show when he was being experimented on in the army when they were developing this pill and them taking his daughter, just a little more of that would have given some more, I don't know, some more bond between the audience and him to understand his motivations. And I think um, Joseph Gordon-Levitt's character, Frank, was a pretty straightforward, motivated character. He's a cop and he's upset with what's happening in his city and he wants to help um, protect it. So that was really straightforward. Um, I know I had messaged you that I think everything I've seen Joseph Gordon-Levitt in, I've really liked him. He's a really solid actor, and he does another great job here. And I, I'm just going through my head real quick. It has a nice sort of um, finding your own superpower sort of message to it, a little kind of bow at the end, like what's your power going to be? And um, Jamie Foxx's character kind of, turning that on its head a little bit for Robin and, and helping her focus in on what he says is her real superpower. All right. Yeah. Um, I, yeah, I pretty much agree with you on, on everything you kind of brought up. I would switch a little bit though on uh, who I think was more developed versus who is least developed. I, I would agree that Robin is the most developed character out of, out of all of them. Uh, but I would say that, uh, Jamie Jamie Foxx's character is more than um, Joseph Gordon-Levitt's just because it's he's too one dimensional, I think, for me in this movie. Like like you said, he's just a cop who just wants to protect his town. I would have liked a little bit more um, understanding about why he started using power. Like I, I get I can infer why he's using power himself. Um, but like, I wanted to know more about how he, you know, became connected with Robin, um, why he made me, why he joined the police force. Um, uh, maybe it was like reading some comic books as a kid and, and, you know, justice and all that stuff. And that's kind of inspired him. And then 
this pill coming out that can give you superpowers for five minutes being kind of this like next step to achieving that that childhood fantasy but um yes i i think that it was it was structured very well um i i was a little hesitant to kind of think it was okay about how robin um attaches herself to to art um jamie jamie fox's character because of their initial interactions but they do kind of make some some points later on in the movie about you know her not knowing her father and stuff like that and how art kind of becomes that father figure for her and and really like you said kind of turns that idea of power on its head because he asks her the question like well have you ever taken it and she goes no and he goes, why not? And she explains, you know, because of the wrists and stuff. And then he's like, well, what if that's not really your power? You have to find your own power. And then he does the the little rap game with her, which I thought was really, really well done. Um, I for plot, like I said, the plot is is very, very well streamlined. Uh, you know, it goes A, B, C, and you're, you're following it straight through through its kind of three act structure. I would have liked to understand the company behind it more because we get introduced to whoever she is at near the end of the film. Like, I mean, we know relatively we know who she is, but we we don't know her and we don't know exactly why art has such a visceral reaction to her when they meet at the end near the end of the film. Uh, other than the fact of what's going on with who he lost and what he's after. Um because like it when you get to kind of the final sequence, which I think is beautifully done, special effects are on point. Um, they they show a certain thing that happens to that character. And I didn't feel any like moment of, yes, she got it. She got what was coming to her or that that needed to happen or anything like that. It just it, it fell uh, empty for me. But. Speaking on the special effects, like like you kind of foreshadowed, <laughs> there is one particular CGI bit um, that it, it is where they spent the least amount of money for for it. Like everything else looks really good when it comes to the special effects. But uh, I think his name is Biggie. Uh, he's uh, played by Rodrigo San- Santaro, if I've got that correct. Um and he takes his power pill and basically to give um, listeners a, a frame of reference, if anyone has seen the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen movie from the early 2000s with Sean Connery, as much as I actually don't really hate that movie, I think it gets a lot of unjust hate. Um, although I would say as an adaptation of Alan Moore's work of the comic book, it's it's awful but as a movie itself, it, it's not that awful, um, even though it led Sean Connery to leave acting. Regardless of that, the the Jekyll Mr. Hyde um, character that, that gets really lambasted for its very poor CGI. Um, this is on par, if not worse than the, the Mr. Hyde CGI in that movie. Uh, it's not what I was expecting for him to get as his power. I don't know if he already knew his power. Um, thankfully, that whole sequence with him once he takes the pill is maybe three minutes. So it's it's not enough to take away from the rest of the movie. Um, and other than that, you know, with the plot stuff, I think it was a very solid movie. It's very similar to a movie we've reviewed on on the podcast previously, uh, although I know Leslie hasn't seen it. It's Code 8. Uh, very similar with the idea of people getting superpowers and the general populace trying to have some type of reaction to it. Um, so any anything else that you kind of want to go back and forth on with with Project Power? Um, I don't know. I think I think what you pointed out there about um, the antagonist, and I don't even know her name, that woman that Art was going after. I think that's what I needed to sympathize with Art's character more, to understand more about her so I could sympathize more with him and why he has to go after her 
you know, and find her aside from, you know, searching for his daughter. Right. Yeah. It, it just, it, 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 that whole, uh, what I can't even remember the name of Telios or something like that. That's the whole kind of corporation that's behind the, the development of it. I mean, we, we do get backstory from art, um, explaining about how he was tested on while he was in the military, that they wanted to try to give the military superpowers to essentially enter into like, you know, biological warfare using drugs to enhance soldiers to go in and like topple nations and stuff like that, or just even have to defend their own borders. Um, But even in those like flashback moments, I don't, if we see her, we see her very briefly and we just don't know if she's like the scientist who cracked this code or, uh, or she's just the suit behind it all. The one who's providing all the money and the technology for the scientists to develop it. It just, it just doesn't really get explained a whole lot. So there's really when, uh, when come up, it's, is given, it doesn't, feel a hundred percent justifiable or like you don't get that justification. Uh, yeah, you don't get that payoff feeling. And that's, right. that's really, I think the only place where I was missing more development from him Yeah, just because I think they kind of relied on the superhero tropes of everybody knowing, okay, person was experimented on gets powers go from there, but not really kind of giving us maybe the the pre-15 minutes of that to explain to us, you know, why we should care. Exactly, yeah. It, it, it just, it, 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 it needed that little polish. Like, whereas we, we were saying with Beyond White Space where it needed fine-tuning, this <laughs> needed a little bit more of letting out, you know, just like letting, let, let's give another couple minutes of exposition um, for our, uh, I, Again, like the acting, I think on this is is what also really drives this movie. I wasn't sure how I was going to like Robin at first, because um, like again, when you get introduced to her, because I really actually hadn't watched the trailer before watching the movie. I I don't know why. I just was like, eh, I'll, I'll just add it to my watch list. It's got Jamie Fox, Joseph Gordon Levitt. I'll I'll watch it. Um, and I you know knew kind of what it was about. I didn't know exactly that Robin was going to be such a main character and essential to the plot uh, that I went once she was introduced to the screen at the very beginning. I was like, I don't know how I'm going to feel about her. Um, But they did such a good job developing her character and um, Uh and and the actress playing her did such a good job conveying all the right emotions and motivations for her character uh, that I think it really made me latch on to her and want to see her be, you know, s- safe and, and and not harmed and wanting to get through the movie. I th- also... Um, well, uh, I was going to say, like, a, a scene for me that I really, like, uh, um, sympathize with her character when she's in the high school mm-hmm. and, you know, and the teacher is kind of coming down on her and she has that uh, fantasy for a minute of yes. this is what I would do, but then she doesn't. I'm like, oh, my God, I've been there so many times. Yes, absolutely. Like, I almost thought for a second that that actually was happening. And, of course, then it, it it's it's so convincing. Like, that's a, a part of where it's really well shot and really well directed because, like, you don't even get much of a transition from once the fantasy ends. You just like, it it just, when she finishes her rap and then everyone kind of goes nuts, which to me, that whole going nuts was a little over-exaggerated, but given that it's a fantasy kind of makes sense. Uh, And then it just want to happen in your head. Right. And then it just cuts to the teacher standing in front of her and she's still at her desk. Like I, I think it was a very well edited and shot and directed uh, piece. Now, uh, one, uh, one other bit that I also really liked uh, was um, Joseph Gordon-Levitt's Clint Eastwood lines. Uh, <laughs> I thought that those were were really well delivered, and I, I almost have to go with Robin when she goes, "You practiced that in front of a mirror, didn't you?" <laughs> like yeah, it just—it it, was so good. Yes, it 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 felt so something like a film person would do, you know, someone who watches those movies or Clint Eastwood movies or, or latch onto a particular character and you want to kind of portray yourself as a badass, you would do that kind of practice those lines in front of a mirror. So I, I really, I really did enjoy his character. I think one of my favorite scenes with uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt is 
when he's trying to figure out where Robin is and he sneaks into um, her mom's house because they're getting she's getting questioned by the Telios guys. And then he acts like he's her boyfriend and, and stuff. And, and then yeah, that scene is great. Once they leave, she's like, who the hell are you? <laughs> I just thought it was. And the whole uh, the whole line of like, well, where is your badge? And he's like, I'm in a towel. <laughs> where do you expect <laughs> me to have my badge? Um, I want one one other thing I had kind of a bit of an issue with, and it's it's nothing actually with the movie itself. It's it's with how they credited a certain actor. And it's nothing that I, I, I actually like this actor. Uh, I just don't think he deserved getting necessarily mentioned in the um, in the sequence near the end where, you know, uh, movie credits kind of do that first tier credits where they list kind of who the directors are, who the writers are, the editors. And then they give you your your main cast members on there. Courtney B. Vance gets a uh, gets gets his name in there, but he's only in two scenes. You know, it just that didn't feel earned to me. I really like him. I, I, I loved him on Law and Order. I've loved him in anything else I've seen him in. Um, but honestly, it, it even took me a little bit to even recognize him because when he's talking to the, the suits at the beginning, doesn't sound like Courtney B. Vance. And then once he finally is talking to Frank at the diner, um, you, you, you can finally tell. But those are the only two scenes in an almost two hour movie that he shows up at all. I, I just... Maybe he should have been the top name at the list when it goes into the regular scroll. Yeah, yeah. I just I just felt like maybe it's because he is a, a, a fairly known actor or, uh, you know, maybe it was part of his contract or something. It just, it felt really weird to me that as I was sitting there watching the credits uh, to see who some of the people were and to convince myself that it was Courtney B. Vance... It was like that was the last name before it did. It's actually it did a little sequence with Robin sitting under the bridge and writing her lyrics. Um, but it, it just felt weird. It felt weird to me. It was like I, I don't. It's, it's like, almost like uh, getting into that credits for only having a cameo. Like yeah. if they would have cr- had credits like that in Lord of the Rings and put Peter Jackson for like the three minutes total that maybe he was cameoed. And yeah, yeah. In those movies. Cause that, cause that's kind of what this feels like. It feels just like it's almost a, a glorified cameo. You know, it's not, not anything, um, anything special. And that is one, I, another aspect I think I would have appreciated if they would have explored more is his, um, precinct and, and the cops. Cause you know, his partner gets shot at the, you know, near the beginning, not fatally, but he does get shot. And like, I, would have thought that he would have come back into into play. I would have thought the captain would have come back into more play. Um, but those are those are minor things. I don't. They probably would have bogged down the film had they added it in there if it didn't make justifiable sense to put those characters into the film later on. Um, but other than that, I really don't have anything else I want to I want to say. I think that this one is a is a strong. Um, four for me i mean i this was one if if they were to release a 4k blu-ray um physical edition i would probably be picking it up so i i I would have to recommend it especially if you are a fan of kind of superhero movies this is a little bit different um it it still follows some superhero tropes but it, it does try to be different than than those other movies so that those are my thoughts I'd agree with you at a four. I thought about maybe a four and a half just because I like the special effects for the Netflix kind of size of a film, Mm -hmm. if that makes sense, you know, not being like a huge blockbuster. But I think I'd settle on a four and just pretty much agree with you for all the reasons we've already discussed. (laughs) Well, that's good. And, you know, no one can ever then also make uh, any type of of claim that I don't rate movies under a three because the last Two of the last two movies that we've reviewed on the podcast, uh, what was the last? Reprisal and and Beyond White Space. We have both scored under under a three for those two movies. So uh, yeah, I think people, when they complain, they're looking for more shock jock value, whereas we just kind of talk about stuff and give our opinions. Yeah, and and, and again, like I, I hammer this home almost on every podcast. Like even if we give it a low score, it's it doesn't necessarily mean it's a horrible film. Uh, you know, I still always recommend anyone who, um, who wants to 
watch these movies or might find these movies interesting, uh, go check them out. Like, don't necessarily let our opinion of the movie um, tarnish what you might what want to go see. Uh, I, I currently have an issue with someone on, on Twitter right now, and not necessarily for their film criticisms or anything like this, but um, it's it's kind of dealing with movies in, in the age of COVID. Uh, because... I think unhinged is a Russell Crowe movie that just released this weekend. And next week we have new mutants, which I've been wanting to see for the past, what, four years it's been getting pushed (laughs) off from being released in theaters. Um, he is, a. I don't want to say he's attacking movie theaters per se, but he thinks that it is, um, it is morally dangerous for movie theaters to release movies in theaters and want people to come out and see them um, in the age of COVID. And uh, I'll be honest, I, I've actually been to the movie theater the past, uh, actually past two weekends because they were re-releasing Friday the 13th on the big screen and, and Nightmare on Elm Street. And honestly, the protocols, the, the workers were wearing masks. Uh you had to we had to wear masks into the theater once we were sitting in our seats we were able to take our mask off and and you know to be able to drink and eat concessions people they distance seats out like if you're if you're going with people you know they allow you to sit together but if another group comes like they they then space those seats out so i think if theaters are following the appropriate protocols I don't think that there's anything wrong with someone wanting to go out and see a movie because it is a different experience. Whereas I, I 99% of the time will prefer to watch a movie at home just because I like being in the comfort of home. I like maybe having the ability to pause if I've got to go to the bathroom or eat something. Um, it, but there are certain movies I might still want to go out and see in a theater or even a drive-in movie theater. Um, so I, I think it's a little bit dangerous, especially these are businesses. And uh, the one that I went to those two movies is a privately owned. They are not an AMC or uh, a Cinemark. This has really kind of hurt their stream. And I used to work at an independent at, at that independent movie theater. It, it, so those workers aren't, you know, getting they don't get a whole lot of money in the first place. And. So for them to actually be able to be in at work, have income coming in, and, and not even to a great extent, I think that it's fine. As long as the appropriate procedures are being taken to make sure that no one's, you know, being reckless or anything like that, what's wrong with a person wanting to go out to see a movie in a movie theater? I, I don't know if you have any thoughts. This was not anything I really planned talking about on the podcast. <laughs> Uh, I I think talking about anything like that is just so charged for everyone right now because mm-hmm. there's such a level of anxiety and everyone has such a different level of what they feel comfortable with um, as far as like risk takers and risk adverse. You know, I mean, even if you think about different levels of what you consider to be cleanliness in your home versus someone else. So there's so many different levels of what people think, oh, this is enough procedure, oh, this isn't enough, or oh, this is too much. It, it's so charged that it's like, I, I don't even want to touch it with a 10-foot pole. Yeah, and and, and and you bring up a point that that I think is also good to say, too, is if you feel like you're you're at risk or you you might have – or you personally have an issue with with going out to somewhere um, because you don't want to catch catch COVID. That's fine. Like, don't I, I'm not saying you have to go out and do that. Like, I, I really think that that's it's it's a individual's responsibility to determine whether or not they feel like it's good to go out and go to a movie theater if they feel like it, it is um risk adversive for them and that they don't want to to put themselves in harm's way that is completely fine i'm not going to judge you for wanting to stay at home what i do have an issue with with is this is a person with a very uh large twitter following justifiably earned so i'm, I'm gonna say that right off like uh, and i'm not naming this person because i really don't wish them ill will i really do like their take on movies uh, and I think that they are a very intelligent person. 
Um, but they're they're using their platform, and this is a problem I do have with Twitter. Honestly, the podcast would not be on Twitter if we didn't need Twitter to help get the word out. Um, but they're using their platform to make a, an argument and then also an echo chamber for people to agree with them. And then when people do disagree with them or do say, hey, I think it's personal responsibility, if I'm healthy and I feel fine, I'll do I'll wear my mask, you know, and, and I'm I'm fine with that, too. I have no issues with people wearing masks. I wear it down the Kroger. I wear it at the movie theater. Uh, if I'm going out to anything, uh, I'll wear my mask. Uh, but I shouldn't as much as I shouldn't judge you for not wanting to go out to the movies. I don't need someone saying that I'm morally harming people by going out to see the movies. So that's that's my two cents on the issue. It's it's not really to start any type of fight or debate. Uh, I, I just saw that this week and and I just I took a little umbrage with it and I, I just wanted to kind of express that. But other than that, now that the the dour side of the podcast is over, <laughs> um, that's, I think, going to do it for this week. Um, I know next week we will have Pat back on the podcast. I'm 99 percent sure. And we will be discussing Vivarium. But I think I'm going to put out a poll and see if there's any other movies that you guys want us to cover for next week. Um, it has to be streaming on Netflix or Hulu or Amazon um, just for ease of access for us all to get it watched. But we will be covering Vivarium. Uh, I know Pat is really ready to talk about that movie. He's been wanting to talk about it for a while now. And uh, since he's back from his honeymoon, I think we'll we'll be putting that on the docket for next week. Um, and then we will maybe have a second movie that we'll decide or we'll see if you guys respond on Twitter. We will cover that movie. Um, so with that, uh, you can follow us on Twitter at CriticsNTCynics. Um, you can always write into the podcast at CriticsNotCynics at gmail.com. Uh, you can follow us on Facebook at CriticsNotCynicsPodcast. The podcast is available on Podbean, Spotify, uh, Apple iTunes, and uh, Google Podcasts, if I didn't say that already. And I think we are now actually going to be, I don't know if we're up up there right now, but we will be starting to be on Amazon Music and Audible. Um, So if you check podcasts out that way, you can go start following us on there. Um, as always, it'd be nice if you guys would leave us a rate and a review. It helps get the word out there and spread it around. But, uh, as always, we will talk to you in the next one.